0: Founders Space, Mentors, and Masters. I'm Captain Hawk, CEO of Founders Space, the leading global startup accelerator. I'm also author of the award-winning books, Make Elephants Fly, Surviving a Startup, and The Five Horses. We are here today with Patty Bloch, CEO of the Block Group. Patty has a special mission. It is to help women earn more with less stress. Even if you're not a woman entrepreneur, you can learn a lot from Patty. Patty, welcome to the show. Thank
1: you. I'm glad to be here.
0: I have brought you on this show because you have done a lot of research and you have a lot of experience working with female entrepreneurs, really helping them increase their revenue, helping them with life issues, how to deal with their business without stress. Can you give our audience a little insight into your background and what led you down this path?
1: So this is the second company that I've owned. And the first focused on political consulting and lobbying. It was fascinating. I learned a lot and I'd never do it again. But... I learned a tremendous amount from teaching candidates, from doing political fundraising, from managing a lot of egos and working behind the scenes to help candidates get elected and then also to get issues heard from a lobbying standpoint. So my journey was difficult because I was 34 years old. I had a wonderful thriving business and a surprise divorce with three little kids at home. So because of that, I quickly realized I was on my own, I needed to close my company because it required so much travel, and I needed to stabilize things for my family. So after eight years of having that business, I closed it, I grieved. I then went to work for an international school as director of development, and then I became director of operations. I always knew I was going to start my company again, but my motivation had changed. And part of that became, I want to be that resource for other women business owners that are struggling with some of the same issues that I am. And I want to bring my experience in finance and operations to the small business market. So I started this company in 2006, and it's grown really nicely. And the focus has always been on helping women business owners to grow and scale their companies. I work only with service companies. And, you know, the challenging thing that I've seen over the years is that our pricing is often a best guess and everything is dependent on pricing. So it's a real challenge because we don't have a supply chain. We don't have specific expenses and we're guessing at what we think our pricing should be. And as women, we undervalue ourselves and we underprice. And I started seeing how pervasive that was and now focus specifically On helping women generate more revenue with
0: less stress. I've heard this before that women often ask for less than men do. How do you change the mindset of the women you work with? What do you tell them to get them comfortable with asking in parity for what a man with similar capabilities is asking for, for the services they're offering?
1: Confidence and your belief in yourself. And I help build that muscle by doing specific things where I'm teaching them how to look at their value differently. It's really about what is your value And how do you communicate that? And that's actually the biggest roadblock for women business owners. Even if I can teach them how to do it differently, if they don't trust that they can adequately and efficiently and effectively talk about it and help their buyers understand the value that they bring, then they're going to avoid it. They're not going to talk about it. And that's a really common dynamic what I realized years ago is this undervaluing issue. And so I started doing some research. And one of the statistics that I ran across was that 62% of women rely on their businesses for their primary income. Only 88% of those businesses generate less than $100,000 in annual revenue. That to me was such a startling statistic. If we are the breadwinners, If we want to have choices in our business, if we want to have choices in our lives and impact the people around us, we have to have that earning potential and that's what I teach women to do.
0: When you work with women, what I'm hearing from you is you're talking about women charging for their services, which is their time.
1: So I take time out of it. A lot of those women have come out of corporate jobs where the hourly billing model has been drilled into their brains. That's the only thing they know. So coming into their own businesses, what happens when you use an hourly billing model is all of a sudden your services become transactional. And what you're really doing, every woman that I know who's an expert in her field, she is providing a transformational service for her clients. So charging on a transactional way, not only short changes the woman business owner, it really short changes her clients because they miss out on some of the value that she's really bringing. Yes, I work with experts in their fields, a lot of CPAs and attorneys and marketing and PR professionals specialty consultants who, again, they're guessing at their pricing. And the corollary to pricing is how do you sell your services in a way that first of all you're not avoiding because sales often doesn't feel good. And that you have that fear of rejection. We all do. It's part of the human condition. And so how do we get past all of that to have an effective sales process? So I see pricing in sales as going hand in hand. And treating sales more like matchmaking.
0: I'm a consultant, so I work out there with a lot of companies, a lot of Fortune 100 companies, as well as independent entrepreneurs. And when I charge for my services, even as a man, I have trouble figuring out the price. So, what data, where can people go? Where can women go? Where can men go to actually figure out what they're worth? I'm going to make two distinctions.
1: It's not about what you're worth, it's about building value in the mind of your ideal buyer. And I make a distinction between an ideal buyer and an ideal client. An ideal buyer is someone who wants to buy from you, who understands the value that you bring and that you want to work with, right? That's a great match. An ideal client doesn't happen by accident. That's about managing and setting good expectations. Once they become a client, then you can help them become an ideal client. But again, that doesn't happen by accident. And that's why I make a distinction. Because as service providers, what happens is we get so caught up in thinking about, is this the right person for me to work with? Is this the right company? How do I provide this service? How am I going to scope this? How am I going to price this? How am I going to deliver this? We get so caught up in our own heads, male or female. And because of that, We're not really focusing on the sales process. And I think of it as leading your buyer on a journey so that they are ready to buy. Well, we can't do that very effectively if we have all of these mental gymnastics going on in our heads. So you have to separate that out. And that piece of it of helping your buyer be ready to buy is a a really critical piece. Going back to your original question of how do you figure out what to price? First, you have to get over your mindset issues. So it's about your relationship with money. It's about how you were raised, how money was handled in your household when you were a kid, how you started earning money and how you started spending money. Again, I think it's really important to think about your values, not just how you make money, but how you spend money and how money is spent in your household and how you make those decisions. That will directly impact what you're doing in your business. Yes, there are industry standards you can check out, but my recommendation is to focus on the value that you bring, the transformational experiences you're providing. And I have a calculation that I teach that includes contingency, the value what I call perceived value. How does your buyer perceive what they're buying? That's a really important element of it. And I teach how to build perceived value. So all of those elements fit together into a calculation. And most of my clients take it in steps where I think they should be doubling and tripling their prices. They're not quite ready to do that. Now I will say once they do it, they are shocked and amazed that there is no pushback but it takes time to work through some of your mental reservations, right? And to your exact point, male or female, it doesn't matter. We have the same doubts and worries and concerns.
0: What you're saying is that most of us out there as independents who are entrepreneurs and charging for our time and our services, we dramatically underprice what we're worth. We could be earning exponentially more, two, three, four, five times more, but we can't get there because we don't feel comfortable actually asking for it. And we can't ask for it before we actually get the person we're working with to become that ideal buyer or ideal client.
1: Exactly, a lot of this comes back to communication. So building perceived value, you can only do that in the mind of your ideal buyer. So first you gotta find your ideal buyer, you gotta define them and find them. Then you have to communicate effectively So they understand that not everybody can solve their problem,
0: but you can. What you're saying is that you don't want to commoditize yourself. So you want to take yourself out of like, I'm not like everybody else. Like there, you may hear that there are a lot of other people who can offer the same service or same consulting, but actually I can offer you so much more. And then you lead them down that path.
1: Yes. And a huge piece of that is the planning. You have to know what message you're trying to convey. You need to be able to say that effectively with confidence, right? So, if you are feeling nervous and anxious, which frankly we all do, and I certainly struggle with anxiety, when you have a tool and a toolbox and you can follow a sales process or you have a way to think about pricing differently, for me, that gives me tremendous comfort because I'm not recreating anything when I have a new prospect. I have Processes. I've planned ahead. I know what I want to say. I've practiced that. And that's what I teach my clients as well. So that makes a huge difference in itself. But there's also so much substance to how you'll price in a new way. You can talk about that. Your confidence is real because you start to understand the value. One of the things that we as entrepreneurs do extremely well is we build relationships. That's business development. So those relationships have the potential to turn into a lot of different things. Could turn into clients, could turn into partners, strategic alliances, referral partners, all kinds of potential there. And yet we don't factor that in when we're pricing our services. So if I'm a CPA and I am providing services and I'm giving a proposal to a prospect, if I price on an hourly basis at my hourly rate, I am really shortchanging. I'm leaving money on the table because the power of my network is part of the value that I bring. I have vetted attorneys that I trust that I can recommend to my client, insurance people, bankers, all of these people so that we can build an effective team for my client. And that is really overlooked. As business owners, we often think it's a given. It's not a given. It's something you've spent years developing. And it has real value.
0: Let's say you're a CPA. Somebody could come to you or they could go to a service like H&R Block, or they could use an online service for accounting, but you offer so much more because you have spent years and years and years developing very specific relationships that can bring a lot of value to your clients. You also have experience that other people wouldn't, especially a piece of software or a person that h and Block just kind of going through the, the online form, you know, like a robot and giving them that advice. So really the first step you gave CPA, but it's true for everything is really understanding what you can offer, what your special skills are, what in throughout your life and your experience, what you can bring to the table for your clients. So identifying those communicating those to the client so that they really understand them and then stepping in and saying, this is what I'm worth.
1: Yes. The other thing I would say, and again, I'm going to mention about what you're worth. We want to be careful not to conflate the pricing with your self-esteem, because then when someone pushes back, it feels very personal. And so I want to separate that out a little bit to say, Let's think of it as pricing for your real value, as opposed to pricing for what you're worth. We as human beings, everyone has worth. And I think it's gotten to be very common in the in our language to talk about what you're worth. And that's why I make that distinction.
0: That's a really important distinction that you're making there. Because it's true. When I say what I'm worth, then all of a sudden I feel insulted if they offer me less, but that's, that's negotiating is part of the process. So you, you really want to divorce yourself. It's, it's really not what you're worth, but what value you can bring to the table.
1: Absolutely. And the value that you build in the mind of your ideal buyer.
0: Yes. So it's up to you to create that value in their mind. And if you can't do that, you can't even ask for, you know, essentially what that value is worth.
1: Yes. And the other thing I'd like to share is an exercise that your audience can do today. And that is find a trusted person. It can be a business advisor. It can be a close colleague, but somebody who knows you and knows your business. And you both sit down, can be virtual, and you make a list of all of the things that you believe bring value for your partner that they bring to the marketplace and the value that they bring to their clients, and you ask them to do the same for you, and you will be surprised because they will put things on the list that you take for granted, that you haven't even thought about. So, for example, I'm a very calm person, and I wouldn't put that on my list as something that is valuable, and yet it is something I know my clients really value because they tell me that when they're... Upset or worried about something, and they contact me, they count on the fact that I'm going to be calm and rational and help them think it through. So go through that exercise with a, a trusted partner and see what comes of it, because I think that will really help you to visualize what others see that is valuable about you.
0: That's a really good point. You know, often I know a lot of entrepreneurs and even myself. I just assume people know what I'm worth because I've done so much in my lifetime and they can go and they can read my bio, but reading a bio isn't the same as you communicating it and having a conversation with them and highlighting the value to them. I think people get confused like that. Just look at my bio. You can see, you know, I went to this university. I worked at this corporation. I did this and that. Those are just sort of generic things that don't really get at your value.
1: One of the things I've seen for such a long time is an effect that I recently put a name to. I call it the broken cookie effect. When I was growing up, my mom would make these fabulous cookies. The whole house smelled good. It was warm. It was just these fabulous cookies. And all my growing up, I watched my mom eat the broken cookies. And it wasn't until I was a teenager that I finally thought to ask her, mom, why do you always eat the broken cookies? Do they taste better? And she laughed and she said, no, I eat the broken cookies so you can have the whole ones. And I realized that is what we as women are doing in our businesses. We are eating the broken cookies. We pay everybody before we pay ourselves. We hire additional people, even if it means we can't take a paycheck. We are so focused on serving others and over-delivering and giving that we forget to take care of ourselves. So how you develop your business, I think of your business like a cookie jar and jar stands for justified additional revenue. And that means sometimes as women, and I would imagine some men feel this way too, we feel as though if we're earning more, if we're bringing in more revenue, that somehow we're being greedy. Somehow we feel guilty about that. And yet you can have such a huge impact as an entrepreneur when you're making more money, you have more choices, you have more power, So there are so many positives that come from that. If you can get past that feeling greedy and guilty, that additional revenue that you're bringing in when you fix your pricing and you have a great sales process, that is really justified. You've earned that money and it affects everyone positively, everyone around you.
0: Let's talk about fixing your pricing. Let's say most other people in your industry charge hourly. A lot of them charge hourly a lot of money because they don't want to be taken advantage of. You know, some clients will call you over and over and over. And if you do a fixed price, you can get locked in with this client and put a huge amount of time so that your hourly rate actually comes out really low. How do you deal with this?
1: Boundaries expectations, setting expectations. Everybody has a little bit different process, but here's the foundational piece of what I teach. Have a process and don't create something new for every client. And I will tell you, that's what most entrepreneurs are doing. Unless you have a product that has a set price, typically service providers, we're just creating it. We're making it up for every situation, for every different client. When you have a process and you've planned ahead, then part of how you're qualifying an ideal buyer is whether or not that process fits the ideal buyer. If it doesn't, and you have to do something extraordinary, that might not be an ideal buyer. Setting expectations and then managing that is what creates an ideal client. Doesn't happen by accident. So because of that, you have a wonderful opportunity to teach your client how you can work together and what those boundaries are. When I am helping my clients price and calculate that, I do recommend putting in value as perceived by the buyer. So for example, if somebody comes to you and says they need something done in 30 days, and normally you would spend 90 days doing that, they should pay a premium for that. Premium for fast, premium for urgent, premium for something that's out of the ordinary. We know because we as consumers in the marketplace, we pay a premium if there's an urgent situation, or something extraordinary. So your buyers should as well. That is really expected in the marketplace. If they come to you with a routine something and you've determined they're an ideal buyer, then when they become a client, part of that onboarding process needs to be to let them know. The way I do it is up to two meetings a month, unlimited calls and emails. And I want my clients to reach out to me because I don't wanna do damage control. I want to help them on the front end of a problem so that we are not really caught in a crisis. So that is what my clients do is they reach out to me. I'm always thrilled when they do, and I can help them on the front end. Also, going back to being calm, I can be somewhat detached. I don't have all the emotion wrapped up in what they're experiencing. That gives me that advantage of being able to think clearly and help them think it through and look at all the different aspects of that. In many ways, I function like an outsourced chief operating officer because I'm bringing my experience in finance and operations to my clients with a special focus on pricing and sales.
0: Now, what is one of the biggest myths about how to price yourself?
1: I'm going to price based on what the market will bear. I hear it all the time. There is no such thing, especially for service companies. There is a price point for every buyer. And I use the example of Walmart, Macy's, and Neiman Marcus. In the retail sector, Walmart is relatively low priced. You can go in, you can buy virtually anything you can think of at Walmart. Macy's is a step up, higher quality, a little more expensive. Go into Neiman Marcus, which is a very high-end store here in the U.S. When you go in there, you can expect to pay $1,000 for a blouse. It's designer. It's very high quality and depending on what you care about as a buyer you can buy a blouse in all three places the store that you shop in depends on what you value and how much money you have to spend and what you care about so when you look at that retail example and what it tells me your buyers are already segmented by the type of buyer they are and if that's the case then it means you have to go find them understanding the market is really important doing market research is super important i have gathered So much great information from talking to my prospects and my clients. So there is that element of it, but this excuse of I'm pricing what the market will bear, you haven't found the
0: right buyers. An excellent point. I have a question. Let's say you find a buyer, they want to work with you, but they're not ideal. What do you do?
1: Typically, I would refer them out. It depends on why they're not ideal. So let's use the example that they can't afford what I'm offering. I have options as the seller, as the business owner. I do not think of a sales process as a negotiation. However, if you want to change the scope of what you're offering, that's the only thing I recommend. I don't recommend giving discounts. I don't recommend giving prepayment discounts. People will always take a prepayment discount, even if they pay late. And then you have a sticky situation. One of the things women really dislike is conflict or the appearance of conflict. So keep yourself out of those situations. Don't offer an early pay discount. Don't offer a discount that nobody asked for. If you need to make it more affordable and you think they're an ideal buyer, except for this one thing, change the scope of what you're offering and see if that can work for them. So I'm I'm not saying you have to be really tough and mean. I'm saying you can work with people, but not at the expense of your well-being. You shouldn't be left with the cookie crumbs.
0: What was the most challenging client you ever had, the one that just drove you nuts, and how did you deal with it? It's
1: really hard to come up with one that drove me crazy, but I do have one I can think of. She, in my opinion, did not treat her staff well. She was verbally abusive to her staff. And I found that so, so terrible. It was so upsetting to me. And her staff would often try to talk to me about it. And they would come to me because it, was, it felt so personal to them. And verbal abuse is personal. And there's never an, a, an excuse for that, as far as I'm concerned. So I did work with that client for a period of time until I realized that it was really affecting me emotionally and I couldn't take it anymore. I did talk to her about it. I was very honest and upfront. I was also very honest with why I was ending our engagement. And she didn't seem to know what I was talking about. She didn't see herself as verbally abusive. Even though she had a lot of employee turnover, even though her employees often would complain to her, she thought there was a problem with the employees, not with her. I just got to the point where that wasn't going to work for me. And I ended that engagement. I wish I could have effected more change there, but sometimes you just don't have that power.
0: Some people will not change. They will not recognize it. Until they do, you can't help them. So you made the right decision, handled it in the right way, just being honest. So at least she got another data point that there's something wrong with her and not all her employees. So hopefully at some day she'll wake up and actually make a change. I have another question. What is the best piece of advice you've been given in your career?
1: The best advice has been given to me in times when I've been under tremendous stress, depressed and worried and anxious and wondering how I'm gonna move forward. And especially during my divorce, my youngest son wasn't even two years old at that time. I had three kids. I was so caught off guard. It was really a trauma for me. And during that period of time, I had a very close colleague who said to me, I know this is difficult and I know that it feels like you can't move forward or you don't know how you're going to move forward. But in retrospect, you will learn from this and you'll learn really valuable lessons and you'll be in a better place. And I didn't believe it at the time, but now that I've experienced many different life experiences that have been stressful and terrible, I know it's true. And I survived, I learned from it. I took really important lessons that I use today that I also used to raise my children, to be good human beings. All of those things have put me in a better place. The last 10 or 15 years have been everything I dreamed they would be. My business is thriving, my family is healthy and we're all very close to each other. I had to be there to get here and here is fabulous.
0: A lot of women, are struggling to balance taking care of their kids, obligations they have in their life and run their business at the same time. What's a piece of advice you can give them, even having enough time to spend with your kids to ensure that they grow up well, that they feel that you love them and cared for them while struggling to grow your business?
1: I have two boys and a girl and my daughter is very observant, very sharp. And one day, As I was going through this divorce, and I had taken the job at the international school, I was taking my children to school. And as I let go of my daughter's hand to say goodbye to her, she looks up at me and she says, Mom, why are you dressed like you have on makeup and your hair is fixed and you're all dressed up and all these other moms are in sweats? Why is that? And I I kind of, you know, it kind of took me aback. And I said, well, I wake up at four in the morning to get myself dressed and ready for work." to then get all three of you guys up and ready for school and fed and make sure you have your books and everything you need. And so I have a lot of things that I need to do every morning, and I don't have time to go home. I don't have that luxury. So after I drop you off at school, I go and I work all day. And then I come back and pick you up. And then when we go home, we do homework and bath time and dinner and bedtime and reading time. We do all of those things. And that's my day. And I usually go to sleep between midnight and one in the morning. And she kind of looks at me and she said, well, doesn't every mom do that? I said, not every mom does that. I do that because that's what I need to do. But it was for me, it was such an eye-opening moment because it didn't occur to me to tell my children what I was experiencing. My mom didn't tell me what she was experiencing, right? You just, as a parent, you just do it. Here's my suggestion. For all those parents out there, especially as you've been juggling homeschooling or getting your kids back in school or, or summer or everything else you're juggling, talk to your kids. Help them understand your reality. It will be so good for them to understand. And you are a role model for your kids. All three of my kids are now business owners, they've launched their careers. They now own businesses. I'm their business advisor, which I think is completely cool because they actually listen to me. And all three of them also work in my company. And we're very, very close. And I know that I've been a role model to them. So that's one thing I would say. And the other is fix your pricing because when you fix your pricing, you have choices. You can hire people, you can delegate, you can stop juggling so much. The juggling is a symptom. And as you build your business, You can juggle less. You have more control if you start with this foundational piece of fixing your pricing.
0: I can't believe it. All three of your kids work with you? They do. Wow. You must be a super mom for those kids to stay so close. That is wonderful. So, Patty, I want you to tell our audience how they can find you.
1: So I love to connect with people on LinkedIn. If you reach out to me on LinkedIn, please put a note that you heard me on this podcast and I'm happy to connect with you. It's Patty with a Y, Patty Block, and also theblockgroup.net is my website. If you want to discover the revenue roadblocks that are in your way, I have a special quiz. It's called myrevenueroadblocks.com. It's a free quiz. You're welcome to take that and you'll get a report that will help you understand what Is in your way and why you may not be pricing as well as you could.
0: To wrap up the show, I would like you to give our audience one more special piece of advice.
1: The only difference between a challenge and an opportunity is attitude. I didn't always believe that. I do now. If you can shift your thinking, if you can change your mindset to seeing a challenge as an opportunity, it will open so many doors and windows for you. That would be what I would recommend. Shift your thinking. Talk to the people around you. Surround yourself with positive people, people who are supportive and loving and warm and see every challenge as a unique opportunity and it will become one.
0: I hope you enjoyed the show. If you liked it, hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends. You can help us create more great content by subscribing and sharing. Also, if you want to access our online startup program, our investor network, and our entrepreneur resources, just come to founderspace.com.